0: Welcome to the Animal Welfare Junction. This is your host, Dr. G, and our music is written and produced by Mike Sullivan. And today we're going to be talking about cats and more specifically community cats and TNR. So for that, I brought two special guests. We have Dan Spihard from the Together Initiative for Ohio Community Cats. Some of you may remember him. He helped us out with some information about Ohio's deserts um, when we were talking about the problem faced with the lack of veterinarians in Ohio. And our second guest is Mona McInnes, the director of Colony Cats. So I'm gonna have them introduce themselves. Uh, Let's start with you, Dan. Uh, Welcome back. And how about you let everybody know who you are and what do you do?
1: Thanks for having me, Dr. G. I'm the uh, co-founder of the Together Initiative for Ohio's Community Cats. We're an organization that we're, we're not out there as the Together Initiative trapping and doing that important work. We're supporting those efforts of others through education and through promoting collaboration. So we hold events and we publish materials, such as our guide to community cat resources in the state that we put out a couple of months ago. So that's uh, the Together initiative. And then I've had pleasure of doing research on community cat management for the last eight years or so. Uh, So I think we're going to talk about that a little bit later.
0: Our second guest is Mona McInnes and Mona I will start by saying that I have known for a very long time back uh, 2001-ish give or take not that we're keeping numbers but I've known her for a really long time so hey Mona how about you tell us who you are where you came from how you got involved in where you're at
2: Thank you, Dr. G, and I'm I'm so thrilled to be here. I appreciate the exposure on this this problem and this issue. But I uh, moved back to Ohio and um, realized that rescue was not necessarily the uh, important thing. We needed to do the spay-neuter. This was back in about 2001, and um, started to do some TNR. There wasn't really any of that going on, and you were one of the few vets that actually knew what a feral cat was. A lot of vets would say, sure, we do ferals. Are they friendly? And um, (laughs) that just didn't work back then. It still doesn't work, but... um, from there, we just sort of uh, the organization sort of grew into primarily a TNR organization. We still do a lot of that, but now we also have a cat adoption center in Dublin. And we, uh, our primary focus is still the TNR, but there's just a lot of other problems that are out there now that make everything harder.
0: Yeah. So you brought up an important point, and that's education as far as what is a feral cat. So, what What is a feral cat? We see the the word thrown around a lot on social media and people get really angry and there's a lot of confusion. So what what actually is a
2: feral cat?
1: You want to start?
2: Go for it. Well, the the original feral cat was the cat that was uh, living outside, didn't want anybody to touch it, didn't want social contact, um, wanted little interaction with humans, just put down the food and leave. Um, I think it's grown now to the point where they've... um, changed it to call them community cats so that it includes all of the cats outside that includes the feral cats that still don't want to be socialized or touched but the community cats now include the friendlies and the abandoned cats that are perfectly happy outside as long as they're in a safe place and um, we just need to provide them with shelter food and spay neuter so that they live their lives but it helps cut down the population. Right, and that's basically why your
0: your group, Dan, is called Together Initiative for mm-hmm. Community Cats, right? Is that, can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Right, right, right. I, I think Mona hit it right on the head. Um, community cats is kind of an umbrella term to include all the cats that live outside. Um, oftentimes, they are stray cats or lost cats. Uh, sometimes they are some people don't like the word to ever be used, but feral cats. So unsocialized cats. Um, so they can be social or unsocialized cats. But TNR is, is the right management tool for any of those cats. So to spay and neuter is going to be the focus either way.
0: Yeah, bring, trying to bring outdoor cats into shelters has two problems from how I see it, right? It has the problem of the cat's not going to thrive. And then you're also going to increase the amount of animals that are in a shelter. So it's gonna make it more burdensome for the shelter and more difficult for the cats that are already there. So do you have some statistics, Dan, on how TNR helps the community, helps shelters?
1: I sure do. A couple of the studies, or three actually, that we did uh, several years ago now, but the numbers uh, are still very relevant. In addition to TNR, which is of course, trap, neuter, return for anybody out there who might not be familiar. um, Normally that's a community-based program where uh, folks are gonna trap the cats that are outside. Again, the the ferals or the stray cats that are outside, have them spayed or neutered, vaccinated for rabies in many cases, ear tipped and then returned to the location where they were trapped uh, to be cared for by a caretaker on an ongoing basis. Um, a complementary program to that that uh, originated several years ago is called Return to Field or maybe Shelter Neuter Return it is known by as well. That's a shelter-based TNR program where as these same cats that are brought to the shelter, rather than being admitted uh, along with the owner surrendered cats, they're going through the same process of being spayed or neutered, vaccinated, and then returned to the place where they were trapped. Um, Again, this alleviates uh, issues of intake and euthanasia. As many as unsocialized cats, they had no chance of being adopted out and they would be euthanized. So the study that we did uh, looked at six, what they called uh, CCPs or community cat programs in six communities. Um, And those were done over three years and they combined TNR, community-based TNR, with shelter-based return to field in these six communities. And they saw on average a 32% reduction in shelter intake in those six communities over a three-year period. And an 83% decline in shelter shelter euthanasia for cats. Um, We did another study in Louisville, Kentucky where they had a similar program going on. uh, And over eight years, they saw a 43% decline in shelter intake. For cats and a 94% reduction in euthanasia. So, when combined, the return to field and the TNR uh, seem to be an effective way of reducing both shelter intake and euthanasia of of cats.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, definitely TNR is, is efficient, it's cost effective, and then it's humane because these animals are not being euthanized. Mona, what's the, what's the, average stay for a cat in rescue in your experience and then what's the longest that you've had to hold a cat before it gets adopted
2: well a lot of times it goes back to the the ones that come in that are not well socialized that may have been pets in the past but you know they become wild pretty quickly they're survivors so they learn on the street pretty quickly how to survive and when you try to take them in Then, you know, sometimes they adjust quickly, they go back to being social, and other times it takes longer. I would say our average from the time they come in the door for the ones that are um, the friendly ones, the ones that have are still very social, um, I would say it's probably six to eight weeks from the time they come in the door, get their vet care, and then go up for adoption. Um, but then we do have those cats that hide in the closet. They only come out after we close. Um, you know, there's a push for folks to look for those shy cats when you go into adopt a cat and give them a chance. Because quite often, once they get into a home, they they do much better. But it still is uh, some of the... I've. I mean, honestly, we have a couple of cats that are truly feral. We can hardly ever touch them. They come out at night. We can see them on the cameras. And, you know, at the time, we probably should have put them back outside. But it was like, well, let's give them a chance. Give them a chance. And, you know, they're going to live and die there now. Um, they're they're not adoptable. And.
0: So many people don't realize that that's not a good life, at least at the shelter, they have space to kind of move around and and get around. But I know that there are people that try to socialize these cats and they're basically just living in a small cage for a really long period of time. And that's just detrimental, right? Like it's, it's no way to live. Whereas the concern is being outside the, you know, okay, they may get hit by a car, they may be attacked by predators or things may happen. But from what I I know, the average lifespan of an outdoor cat tends to be about seven years, give or take. So that tends to be seven good years, happy years, outside years, Uh, they're enjoying themselves as opposed to being inside in a small cage. Let's go through kind of the, the process. As far as, you know, you find cats outside, what do you do as far as bringing them in evaluating what's going to be the best outcome for them, uh, and then deciding what to do with them?
2: Well, usually when they, when they, people usually surrender them to us. I've been feeding this stray. This is a really nice cat. A lot of times, of course, they're only nice with the person that's feeding them. So we'll take them in. We give them at least a few days to decompress. If they are very friendly, you you usually know pretty quickly. If they're having a hard time adjusting, if they're not letting you touch them, um, if they're hiding in the back of their cage and just not wanting any kind of... Uh, contact at all then we usually end up getting them fixed and calling the folks and saying hey this is going to be the best for this cat to go back to where it came from if they just can't take it back it's not a good setting you know it's dangerous um, there's no feeder that kind of thing then we do have a pretty decent barn program and we try to relocate them to a barn um You know, the the friendly ones, of course, get their vet care and we try to move them quickly to the adoption floor so that they can move on out to a home. The longer they sit being evaluated or trying to determine if they're okay, the more likely they're going to get sick. They're stressed and they're going to get sick. And then you're trying to medicate a not very social cat. So everything just goes goes to crap.
1: Yeah, you know, a a concern oftentimes for folks is that, you know, well, you know, if we put these cats back outside, um, you know, it's, it's not a good environment for them. And they don't belong outside, they belong inside. And, and there's no doubt everything being equal, maybe, maybe it would be best if every cat lived indoors in a, you know, environment where they had enrichment and, and a good life. But most of these cats that come into these TNR programs, um, are doing pretty well outside. Uh, the numbers tell us at least on these, uh, seven programs that we looked at, less than 1% of the cats that were trapped and brought in for sterilization surgery had to be euthanized or died in care because of poor health. Um, So that's less than 1%. The same thing occurred in Alachua County, Florida. Dr. Julie Levy, um, she did a study and it was the same situation uh, down there. Um, and in the six CCPs that we looked at, that was over 72,000 cats. So this isn't like a small sample size. Um, and I do have some limited data locally. Um, they've kept track of the cats that they've uh, brought in for sterilization, community cat companions up there in Lake County. And over an eight year period, I was just doing some calculations, 1.6% of the cats that they've trapped for sterilization either had to be euthanized or, or died. Um, so that's a pretty small percentage. So it kind of counters the argument that these cats are, you know, doing really, really poorly outside. Um, if, they, if they're if they getting food, um, and then especially after they're spayed or neutered and vaccinated and returned to a colony where they're being uh, monitored and cared for, um, you know, the situation could be much, much worse for them.
0: And we know that cats in small environments are going to be more likely to get sick. And then the stress of being together and, Dan, you shared about the just the veterinary deserts and the difficulty in finding veterinary care. Do you want to give us a little bit of a recap on that, on the the struggles that we are facing here in Ohio with the veterinary
1: shortage? Right, right. We found that there were two major clusters of counties in Ohio where there were resource deserts. It was the southeastern portion of the state, which sometimes is called the Ohio Appalachia, and then in the West Central part of the state, there was another pocket of 11 counties, I think it was 12 counties in Southeastern Ohio and 11 counties in uh, West Central Ohio where there were uh, veterinary uh, resource, spay-neuter resource deserts for community cats. Um, so yeah, that, that, that is an issue in, in quite a few counties in the state. Uh,
0: sometimes some of the TNR cats that come in are in better shape than some of the indoor cats in some living situations, right? Especially we get into the concern with hoarders, people that have way too many cats, more cats than they can safely care for or properly care for. And some of these people get into hoarding because they don't want the cats to be outside or they don't want the cats to go to a shelter or be euthanized. So they do it out of care for the cat, but they don't understand that that cat is probably better off being outside having all the fresh air and having the room and having the ability to move around and exercise as opposed to being stuck inside. Um, we There are pockets that we go to. For instance, uh, we travel quite a bit to Northeast Ohio and especially like Ashtabula County. They have a really great TNR program that they started uh, about a year and a half, two years ago. And they're getting a lot of cats. They bring them to us to our uh, Trumbull County clinics. And depending on where they're getting these cats, we see some cats that are in great shape. There are other cats that they bring us that are in horrible shape, right? Like covered in fleas, tons of parasites, really thin. Um, But one other benefit of TNR is the fact that those cats are coming to us, we're sterilizing them because even though they're sick, they can still reproduce, but then we're also treating them and making the community healthy. So I think that's something Mona, that you
2: that you see right with some of the cats that we take care of for you. Oh yeah, and and we we vaccinate them um, for the viral vaccine, the rabies. We flea treat everybody if ear mites, um, parasites. So yes, we try to send them back out there with as much help as we can possibly give them and when you talk to the people the feeders later they they're amazed at how great they look and and it it truly does improve the quality of their life immensely
0: yeah i mean even just recently there were there was a cat that you brought in that had like a big wound on the on the neck and you you're really lucky too though that you have really great volunteers and trappers that they take them home they take care of these cats these tnrs that they're not just trapping them and just letting them go that you know what are they doing afterwards?
2: Yeah, I mean that that's something. You know the wounds that we see, some of the uh, the injuries and and the skin infections and that. I mean we really do try to get them the antibiotics. We um, have a couple of they're we you'd probably call them crazy cat people, but they really go the extra mile to to take care of these wounds before we release them. Um, to get the dentals done before we release them. Um, so there's there's just a, a lot of extra stuff we do. And, and it just is very upsetting to me sometimes to go to some of these um, vet clinics that do the high volume and there will be people there that they're bringing in the cats to get them fixed, but they're not going to do any flea treatment. They're not going to do anything extra. They can't afford to. And I appreciate that. They're At least they're getting them fixed. But I just think to myself, these poor cats, this is the one opportunity they have to get things really taken care of. And they'll probably never be touched again by a human. And so if we can just do as much as we possibly can to improve their lives while we have them on that table, it just, it just means so much. I don't know. It, it, that's just some always been something that has been important to me.
0: Yeah. I mean, we shared on rascal extreme, not too long ago, <laughs> the one cat with a tail, right? The, oh God, yes. It was uh, yeah, there was a, uh, there was a cat that had the skin completely tore off the, the tail and it was pretty disastrous so that cat had to be really uncomfortable and really you know having difficulties going to the bathroom and just bringing it in getting him fixed and then removing the part of the tail that was abnormal and now he's
2: pretty much like a normal cat right when you say yeah yeah yep and he's doing fine i mean he's 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 back out now and and he's doing fine so that the unfortunate part, though, when you talk about the, the void in the vet care, you're one in a million because most vets would not have the time or the ability to really do what you do. And we just see so many bad things on some of these cats that sometimes euthanasia is a better answer. But, you know, we're very fortunate that we have you, but we, they, we need more of you.
0: From a shelter standpoint, you know, some of veterinarians are afraid to do things because they're afraid to be wrong. So they're, they're afraid to do something and make things worse, or they're afraid to, you know, kind of get in trouble for doing something that may not have a good outcome. And I try to explain to people that better to, I hate the word try, but better to try than not, right? right. Uh, right. Because you got, you kind of have to do something about it what would you tell the veterinarians out there that may be listening from the shelter side about what your expectations are of what they can and cannot
2: do for these cats? Well, I, I just wish some of them would um, just go a little bit further on some of, these, some of these issues. I mean, if, you know, the basic spay neuter, Treat them for fleas, give them some vaccines. If they're healthy and they don't need anything else, then that's that's you've done everything you need to do. But some of them, especially with some of the dental stuff we see, some of these cats' mouths are so awful. And we have a lot of cats out there that have been TNR'd several years ago. Now they're older and their mouths are awful. And you can see by the way they come to the feeding stations that they they need that dental work. And while it's expensive, I, I don't know that the vet community could contribute a little bit more um, for dentals and, and that kind of stuff for some of these cats, um, but it would certainly improve the quality of their life. And and sometimes you do have to make the decision to to put them down before you send them back out with some of these horrible things. Uh, but it, it just seems that maybe a little bit more could be done here and there.
1: Yeah, I would agree. I mean, having the basics done, uh, F E R C P uh flea treatments, um, you know, any minor wounds taken care of, at, at least hopefully that's, that's part of the basic package. Um, but for folks out there that are hesitant, I mean, just, I think you would agree, just the spay or neuter is going to eliminate a lot of these A lot of the stress on the females of having litter after litter the males fighting and getting the wounds and the abscesses and the roaming and then getting hit by cars running across the street chasing a female to mate or fighting with another male just the spay or neuter itself is going to go a long way towards promoting the health of the cats
0: i think it it kind of gets into are we doing just population control or are you do are we doing individual welfare right Mm -hmm. so The spay and neuter is population control. And then one of the things that at our facility, at our practice, we do is we are doing group per health, but then we're also caring for that individual, like that individual's needs. So like Mara was saying, you know, if there's a tooth that is abscess or whatever, let's pull that out and let's make them feel better. If there's any kind of other problems, then you know, to do it. And and realistically, not to say that these animals are expendable, but this is a great opportunity to learn how to deal with some of these problems. So as a veterinarian to say, I'm not comfortable doing this because I don't know how to do it. This is the time to, to, you know, figure it out, to work it out. Because, you know, and again, I don't want people to think that I don't care about the, the cat, like it's okay for the feral cat to get used but it is, a, it is an ownerless patient who only has you to take care of it. So might as well give it, give it the chance. Another hot topic with feral and community cat management is testing for leukemia and FIV and then what to do with positive results. So Dan, do you have any, any information or any opinions about that?
1: Um, you know, I don't have any any data on that with me right here, but I'm of the opinion that no, I, I would not test for that unless there's some symptoms, you know, if there's symptomatic uh, reason to do that. Um, you know, you're better off spending the money on the other care that we're talking about or spay and neutering more cats, um, in my opinion. I'd be curious what Mona thinks.
2: No, I totally agree with that. Uh, the cats that are going back outside, you know, if if you have the philosophy of testing all of them, then what are you going to do when you come up with positives? Is that going to change how you take care of them? Or are you going to put them back out knowing that they have this? And, you know, if you get a couple of cats in a colony that do test positive, are you going to assume the whole colony is positive? Or there's, there's no reason to even have that information unless they're sick. I mean, if there's a quality of life issue, then, and you need to make a decision, then, you know, that, that could help with that. But no, it's, it's a waste of money to, uh, to test them all.
0: Yeah. Yeah. With the uh, resources, especially, you know, we, we are a lower cost facility, but there are places that will charge 50, 60, $70 for leukemia FIV test. So that's a spay, right? That's a neuter. So you're literally diluting the amount. And I think that there, I, I wonder if there's a study out there and if not, it would be interesting if somebody would do like there, if there's a correlation with the average lifespan of a cat with leukemia or FIV being around seven years and the average lifespan of an outdoor cat being around seven years, like is that, does that have something to do with it? Is that one of the limiting factors to their lifespan? And, you know, if, if, again, it would be interesting to know if that has something to do with it, or if it's just coincidental. For those out there listening that don't know what leukemia and FIV are, they're both diseases that affect the immune system, right? So, the leukemia disease is transmitted by saliva, primarily. So, Cats that are sharing water bowls, food bowls, that they groom each other, they're going to be the more likely to, to get it. And then FIV is transmitted by blood. So primarily bites. So that's where we see more tom cats having FIV because they tend to get into fights. So that right there, you neuter the male cat, they get into less fights. Then we should have a decrease in the in the amount of FIV. As to the things that you would do, like for just the general TNR cat, one of the things that we also recommend is tipping, ear tipping. And that's just removing about a quarter inch of the tip of the left ear. And there are so many people that are against it because they feel that it's cruel to remove the ear tip. And that is a huge pet peeve because you end up with the same cat being brought into the clinic over and over and over and over. So what are your thoughts on ear tipping in general?
1: You know, when I started in this about 20 years ago, I took my, the cats that I trapped to my own veterinarian. I was lucky that she would be willing to do it, but she wouldn't ear tip. So when I brought the cats back, they weren't ear tipped. And I always worried that, you know, if somebody else came along, were they going to trap the cats again, either to have them sterilized again, and they'd have to go through, you know, at least up to the point where they were going to be sterilized, and they'd go through all that trauma again for no reason, or trap them and take them somewhere to be euthanized, as that was still happening quite a bit 20 years ago. So, no, I'm definitely for the ear tip. I mean, it, there, there's a reason that it's the universal symbol, because you need to be able to identify these cats from a distance. You're going to save them quite a bit of trauma by being able to do that, And somebody knows that there's a caretaker there already who's at least started, if not trapped all these cats and had them sterilized.
2: And back in the, when I first started all this and the ear tipping, of course, was being done on the ferals. And I always thought, wouldn't it be nice if we get to the point where we can span neuter everything and and there'll be a shortage of cats and there'll be a tip-eared cat in every home because those were the only ones that were available.
0: I think that it just gets, again, like some people think that it hurts and there are so many people that think that, oh, I don't want to, I don't want my indoor cat to have a tipped ear. Almost like that means that it's a bad cat, right? Like a cat with a tipped ear is just a cat with a tipped ear. It doesn't mean that it's bad. And I think that that part of that problem is that people think of ear tips with ferals. They don't think about an ear tip being done in a cat that is a uh, Again, a community cat, a cat that may come to you when it's time to feed, that if you're sitting outside in your patio, it comes and sits in your lap. Um, one of the things that I hear way too often is, I don't want an ear tip because I know which cat that is. And then the same cat will come back. Uh, we've gotten a couple of times that somebody will say, oh, yeah, you guys, you guys spayed my cat last year and it just had kittens again. It's like, no, it's not the same cat. No, no, no. I know it's the same cat because I know that cat. No, it's like, you you would be surprised how many cats you can have. We, have, we had another person that brought us a cat um, that she said, yeah, I've had this cat all its life and, you know, it needs to be, it needs to be spayed and we shaved it and it had a tattoo and then we scanned it and it had a microchip and we called in the microchip and that's not her cat. Very that nice. is somebody else's cat, right? And she had this cat for two years, thinking that this is her cat. So ear tipping, ear tipping, ear tipping, please. Um, another another concern is going to be trapping cats that may be pregnant. And then a lot of people get really upset about that. And I know it's like a really sensitive subject. But, well, do you want to talk about, Mona, about TNR well, cats
2: that are pregnant? There are already too many kittens that are out there that, uh, that need a rescue or a foster or to be in a home and to bring more in when you're able to prevent it is, is you just have to spay them. And I've seen too many mothers, feral mothers with their kittens, they'll fight to the death to protect those kittens. And it's just not a good life for them. They're much happier, being spayed and not having to go through more litters and, and uh, delivery and, and all that other nursing and trying to keep them alive, trying to take care of them. It has to be just awful for these mothers. Yeah. Like how often do you
0: find litters of kittens that have either injured eyes or that have problems? And then, right. I remember a litter that you brought a few years ago that it was a litter of black kittens and all the kittens had damaged eyes and we had to take the eyes out of everybody except for one,
2: right? Uh,
0: one eye, not one kitten, one eye out of eight yeah. eyes. Um, yeah. So, yeah. What would you have any thoughts on that subject, Dan?
1: No, I agree. I mean, um, you know, I'm sure there's exceptions to every rule, but I would, by and large, um, the, the way to go is to, is to spay the, spay the cat. Plus you have to consider the mortality rate of kittens that live outside is can be up to 75%. So, you know, unless you're going to get those kittens into foster care or have them spayed and attended to immediately as soon as they're able to be, and if they make it that long, um, you know, you're, you're taking a chance with their lives anyway.
2: We, we get people that will call and say, well, I don't want you to spay this pregnant cat. She's feral. I can't touch her, but I'll trap her after the kittens are born. It's like, that's that's going to be the worst thing in the world for that mother to have to fight to save those kittens and you can't take this mom in if she's feral and expect her to take care of those kittens inside in a cage and they usually get stressed they stop nursing and then you still end up losing those kittens you should have just spayed her before she had them right
0: right for any somebody that is out there that wants to learn how to Trap how to do TNR and that kind of stuff. First, what are the resources available to individuals that want to do TNR? And then how is the process of trapping, getting them fixed, and releasing them? Dan, do you want to talk about the resources that your group offers for yeah, education?
1: Um, on our website, um, in in, in terms of training. Um, we're gonna probably refer you to, to some of the national organizations, but Neighborhood Cats has outstanding resources. They have videos, they put on webinars all the time. They have a TNR handbook, which is A through Z, every step, every facet of TNR that you could think of they address in that handbook. Of course, Alley Cat Allies has all kinds of resources. Um, all those are available on the resource page in our, on our website. If you wanna look at those, Um, our summit that we hold every year, we haven't done it the past couple of years because we've been virtual, but when we have the in-person summits, we always have kind of a TNR 101, uh, where we go over the the basics of the trapping and, and returning of the cats. So, um, you know, we do offer that as well, but, um, those resources are readily available, um, and the videos are terrific. Alley Cat Allies has what's called a feral friends network that uh, you can punch in your zip code. And then there are people that volunteer locally that they're willing to either assist physically or at least with advice on on what to do.
0: And the summit, uh, can you let people know how they can get information on attending the summit?
1: Yeah, um, we're still planning this year's summit. We're not sure if it's gonna, we're gonna have in-person or or virtual this year, uh, but we should be determining that pretty soon. Um, And then probably, Six to eight weeks before the summit, we start promoting it. Uh, you can together the Together Initiative website or our Facebook page, and uh, we'll we'll be promoting that. And you know, we'll we'll make it clear when that's going to be.
0: What would you say, Mona, to somebody that's wanting to to start TNR or to or to help out volunteer,
2: you know, well, putting their part into it. Usually when we get a call it's they expect someone to come out and do the trapping and of course initially they usually want them to just disappear but We explain the whole process, why they are not going to disappear. We, of course, don't have enough trappers to go out and help everybody, but we do have um, traps that we loan out, and we will certainly train them and hold their hand through pretty much the whole process. And it is intimidating when you first start it. I mean, to hear that first trap close and the cat freaks out, it's very upsetting. And we understand that, but almost everybody once they do it and see how well the cat does afterwards they're they're on board they take the they take it and run with it and can do it themselves we have 80 year old people out there sometimes that will be doing it themselves because we just don't have the volunteers to help here in central ohio so um but of course the other big problem is finding the place to get them spayed or neutered. Um, the, that has dwindled a lot over the last couple of years in this community. So, um, you know, it, it, that's the tough part right now.
1: I was just gonna put in a, a plug for our uh, community cat resource guide. So we, we have that broken down into TNR resources, which are TNR groups that may be able to offer actually some trapping uh, assistance or at least the loaning of traps, if not coming out to help with trapping. And then we have spay neuter resources, so places the cats can be taken to be sterilized. So we're gonna be I'm gonna be updating that probably this weekend. So it'll be uh, current up to you know the present day uh, as of this this weekend.
0: Excellent. And we'll put that information on our website at forensics.vet forensics.vet on the resource page. So someone, how what should people expect? Let's say you know, again, they're getting ready to do TNR. What is the process from the trapper's
2: perspective? Well, they um, come in and borrow the traps, and we um, ha- help them either make appointments or tell them where they can probably go to get the cats uh, spayed or neutered. Um, they do the trapping, sometimes will help with transportation. Most often, they do their own transportation. Um, the cats get recovered at least overnight um, if there was something um, that needed to be monitored longer, we'll hold them as long as the vet recommends. And then um, they are released. We do have, when the weather is really bad, if they don't have a place to um, recover them overnight, we can often help with that. Um, They'll drop them off after surgery, pick them back up the next day. So, you know, watching that cat leave that trap, that's the end goal. And what would you say to people that that are trying to get a cat to
0: go into a trap, how should they prepare like even days or weeks for the day of the trapping? What kind of things do they need to do to get the cat to kind of come back at the time that they need to come back?
2: Well, the best thing they can do is get it on a schedule, a feeding schedule, try to feed at the same time um, every day. And then you can trap train them by tying the trap open so that you start with the food close to the door, slowly move it back. And over a few days, the cat goes in and out of the trap. The trap doesn't shut on them because it's tied open. And then when it's time to trap, you let the release go and, and um, it closes on the cat. So, you know, smelly, good smelly bait, but the just general general classic trapping uh, stuff.
0: And from a veterinary perspective, one big thing that I want to tell people is leave those cats in the trap, right? <laughs> there are so many people that take the cat, They it's oh, in yeah. the safety of the trap, and then they open it and they transfer them into a cage because they think that the cage is a nicer, better environment. Let me tell you what, that feral cat does not care if it's a cage or a trap. It's unhappy no matter what. So it is so much safer. It, it is not okay to show people the stress that the cats go through when they're in a cage because it would just, I mean, I'm sure that we would be getting calls from all sorts of people saying that we're horrible people. But when a, cat, when a feral cat is in a cage, get them sedated. It's unsafe for the cat. It's unsafe for the staff. It's unsafe for everyone. Um, it is so much easier to have them in that trap. And then you can just pin them into a little corner, you poke them, they struggle very minimally, and then they can recover in that trap. So please, people leave cats in traps, don't take them out of a trap and, and get them in a trap. Don't, don't just catch them in a, in a cage and bring them in. Uh, what kind of traps would you recommend that people get or where can people get traps? You know, If somebody wants to start getting traps on their own.
1: Uh, I, I like true catch. That's just me. Um, I know a lot of people like tomahawk. Uh, the true, true catch has the door that falls more gently than the tomahawk trap or kind of snaps shut. Yeah. Um, that's what I've always used. But, you know, whatever works for you is most important. Yeah.
2: I think those are the two big brands that um, most trappers really like. And I agree with the uh, the the quiet door when the door closes, if you have several of those traps, the door closes so quietly that the cats don't jump. They just keep eating and you can get more trap, more cats trapped um, with those quiet traps. But you also need to um, consider the box trap, the drop trap, not the box trap, the drop trap. for for large numbers and and those hard to catch ones, those drop traps are lifesavers. And secure those traps. <laughs> like when you yeah. have traps,
0: <laughs> please. Zip ties are your friends. Carabiners are your friends. Yes. Uh, you know, unfortunately, we have had cats that either coming in or leaving. They just break out of the trap. The cat doesn't want to be in the trap. And some of the some of the traps that are made to be kicked and released. You know, it just takes somebody losing the grip on on that trap, and there goes the cat. And that cat is not coming is not coming back anytime soon. And then making sure to cover the traps with uh, blankets to something to just decrease the the stress of the cat and just leave them alone. But wanted to make sure to to share that as well. Hopefully, this has been really good information for people in just kind of overall learning the importance of TNR and the process of TNR um definitely you know you if you're interested in in helping community cats you have to be active and proactive about it you cannot expect somebody to just come in and do the work for you and you have to be understanding of the veterinary shortage um knocking on somebody's door and saying you gotta fix this cat or else that's not really going to get you anywhere um but also you know it it would be nice if more and more veterinarians got good at high quality high volume sterilization i know that we are doing a lot to train new graduates like any everybody from first to fourth year veterinary students on just having those skills so that they can get a large number of animals done in a safe manner because that's part of the part of the point high quality high volume sterilization it's not just numbers is safety and quality of, of the procedure so that these animals can get can get fixed. If we don't all work together, then nothing's going to happen. So is there anything that you guys want to share in closing?
1: You know, I was going to say, we talked briefly about population control. I just had a few numbers that I wanted to mention. We, we did a few studies, not only on, you know, the shelter neuter return in combination with the TNR, but we, we looked at some TNR programs that were either run by individuals or TNR groups. And um, they ranged, um, these were over long periods of time. So not only did they achieve results, but the results with colony monitoring were sustained over a long period of time. Just I'm gonna give you some percentages of the the declines in the populations. 300 cats were reduced to zero. So that was 100% reduction over 17 years in uh, Newburyport, Massachusetts. Um, In Chicago, they, in in an urban neighborhood, they worked with a number of colonies between four and 10 years, they enrolled them at different times, but the average was a 54% decline in population there. Um, In the San Francisco area, over 16 years, they went from 258 cats down to one, one cat. And uh, at the University of Central Florida, uh, Julie Levy, who I mentioned before, did a study in the early 2000s that we followed up on in 2018. And over a 28-year period, a total of 204 cats on the University of Central Florida campus were reduced to 10. So uh, those are some pretty impressive results um, that were sustained over a long period of time. And I'm gonna mention again, in Lake County, um, in Mentor, they had some numbers available they saw a 30% decline over a two year period. So that's uh, you know somebody in Ohio here who had some documented success. Um, yeah. So TNR does work. Um, we talked about the benefits to the cats, the population reductions not only benefits the cats but it benefits the communities, the people that maybe don't care for the cats or don't want the cats in their yards or on their properties. They're happy about the population reduction and anybody who's concerned about you know, wildlife predation or any of the other issues surrounding community cats, they're happy about that as well. So TNR can accomplish all those things.
0: Amona, do you have anything that you want to share as we end this
2: episode? well, i I agree with everything Dan just said. It's, the population control is is certainly um, the primary thing, but it also improves the quality of life for these cats. And obviously, we're all cat lovers or we wouldn't even be talking about it or or doing it, spending all our hours doing it. But um, the quality of, the, of life for these cats is uh, is greatly improved with TNR. so it's it's certainly a positive thing.
0: Yeah, we need to do more for for the cats in our community. We need to understand that they outside is their home. They're not they're not homeless. They are at home. So, um, thank you for what you are both doing for community cats in Ohio, and thank you for being here and sharing your experiences and information. Uh, and let's keep working on it. And yep. everybody out there, thanks for joining us and thanks for caring. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. G.